I want to start off by asking uh, those of you in here, uh, those of you who are prolific readers, those of you who like to read, those of you who enjoy a good book, I want you to put your hand up. Let me see you. Where are you? Ah, oh, that's a good size, good, good part of the congregation. Some sm- younger hands too, very nice. Starting young, starting young. That is good. If you enjoy a good book, you love, you love the feel of unwrapping the cover or taking it off the shelf and opening the book and you hear the crisp pages almost stuck together and, you're, and you turn to the first chapter and the first page. Here we go. And you read the first chapter and then you stop. And you go all the way to the back, turn to the last chapter and start reading. Anybody in here like that? Now, a couple of you, yeah, I figured so. But most of us, most of us don't pick up a book, go right to the first chapter, skip over all of the middle, and go to the end, right? We, we read chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, so on and so forth. It's part of having the good book, right? But if you're like me, uh, reading is not your forte, and uh, you like books that have pictures in them, you know, and they don't make a lot of books with pictures in them for my age. So I just have to wait till the, the book comes out on DVD or they turn it into a movie, right? So if you're like me and you can't wait for the next big movie and you're excited and, and, you, and you're first in line, you know, and you're like, two for Barney and Friends in 3D. And you're excited, and, and you grab your ticket, you walk in, you know, and, and they, they collect it, you know, okay, I got to use the bathroom first, and you use the bathroom, and then you get to your seat, and you sit down, and the movie starts, and you're like, here we go, and you're watching. Five minutes in, you stand up, leave the movie theater, out there for about 50 minutes, come back, 50 minutes later, sit down just to watch the last scene. Anybody in here like that? No. You want to sit through the whole movie, right? Even if it's a, it's a terrible movie and you wish they hadn't made it, they weren't true to the book, you paid money for it. And if your spouse wants to leave, you're going to hold their hand and say, you're going to sit right here and wait till the credits and then we can leave. We bought popcorn. All right? You want to sit through the movie. Same thing with music. I know all of us have a favorite song, but we don't play the first line and then skip to the end of the song and say, that was awesome. And we listen to the whole song and we sing along. And when it's on the radio, we turn the radio up and we're singing so loud and people, you know, driving next to us think we're, we're yelling at somebody on our Bluetooth headsets, but it's just us singing along with the radio because it's a good song. How many times do you listen to your favorite song? If you have an iPod, it's on your playlist like six times back to back. I remember when there were still cassette players. My aunt, when she fell in love with the song, she had a cassette player with a repeat button. So you push play and we're listening. All right, this is cool. This is awesome. And And then you hear it rewind. And then, and it starts again. I'm like, 
Did the tape just rewind? <laughs> Are we going to listen to the same song again? You know, she can do that about 20 times. So her, her road trips are quite interesting. But the point is, when we find something good, when we find a good read, when we find a good movie, we're not worried about the ending so much. We want to we wanna sit through the read. We want to sit through the whole movie. We want to listen to the whole song. And if it was worthwhile, we'll pay the extra money. Go back and watch that movie again. If it was a good book, we'll keep it close to us and visit it again in a week, in a month, maybe twice in a month, maybe twice in a week, you know, so on and so forth. And here at, at the Frederick Church, you know, we, we've, we've picked up on this and, and uh, we've kind of adopted this uh, theory. You know, if, if our pastors uh, come up with a good topic, we have a, a sermon series, you know, and so if it was worthwhile, you know, we extend it to a whole month. So you get your earful worth, you know. Why? Why are we so, so caught up in the stories? Why are we so caught up in the movies? Why are we so caught up in the songs? And we're not, we're not willing to just put them away once we listen to them, once we read them. We're willing to go back and visit them over and over and over again. We know how the movie ends. We know what's on the last page of the book. Maybe even the inside cover. And you, you, maybe you doodle something. You know, you know what's at the end, but you're still in, willing to read the whole book, listen to the whole song, watch the whole movie. We have this mentality. We just, if it's worth it, we're willing to go back to it. What is it about us? I think it's because we enjoy the journey. We enjoy opening that page and entering maybe a different world, maybe a world you wish you were in, maybe entering a world that reminds you of where you are at. When you sit down and push the play button, you start a journey, and you want to stay in that journey. Even though you know how it ends, you want to be part of that journey. It's about the journey. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are about to open your word and possibly take a journey. I pray that this journey is worthwhile. I pray that this journey transforms us because we ask it in your precious name. Amen. We're starting today in the book of John, the 14th chapter. Uh, I'm going to start reading with the first verse and then we'll hit the passages that were mentioned in our scripture reading. Uh, John 14. I'll be using the New International Version. John 14, starting with verse 1. John 14. This is what it says. And this is a familiar passage in Scripture to most of us. This is at the Last Supper. Jesus is gathered with his disciples, and he's sharing some vital information with them. He's talking about things that have happened, things that are happening, and things that are about to happen. And so he wants them to listen carefully. He has them all gathered You know, they've had a meal, and so now he has their attention. There's no outside distractions. It's just Jesus and his disciples. And this is some of the words he says. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to eat with me, that you may also be where I am. Then he says, you know the way to the place where I am going. And then Thomas, the disciple, responds, Lord, we uh, don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus responds by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thomas's priority was the destination. He was asking, we don't know where you're going. That was his first question. And then the second question was, well, if we don't know where you're going, how are we going to know how to get there? And how did Jesus respond? He responded by first talking about the journey. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and then the destination. He says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And then how does Philip respond? Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Again, Philip, what's the destination? Show us the destination. And how does Jesus respond? Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Jesus' response, the journey first. The journey first and then the destination. And he was focused on the journey first because he is the journey. He was pointing to himself. He was, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And then he talked about the destination. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus had his priorities right. And he was trying to get it into the minds of the disciples. He was like, hey, it's about the journey first. The destination will come. It's about the journey first. I'm not taking away from the destination because it's important. Nobody wants to go watch a bad movie. Nobody wants to listen to a lame song. Nobody wants to read a bad book. The destination is important, but I think sometimes we get so caught up in the destination that we forget the how to get there. And Jesus was just reminding them, as he always does, with love and patience, it's about the journey first. And the reason why I use the word journey, even though Jesus says, I am the way, is because the word way used there is the same word that is used in the Greek language for journey. So it can be interchanged. Journey, the way, traveling on the way. So that's why the word journey works. So Jesus focusing on the journey, not so much on the destination, even though it's important. But I want to go to the Old Testament real quick. Real quick to the Old Testament, book of Ecclesiastes. You have Psalms and then Proverbs. And then you have the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon was on a journey. In all of his infinite wisdom, he decided to take a journey also. And this is the record of his journey. 
I'm going to start reading uh, chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Ecclesiastes 2, starting at verse 3. I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. Just wanted the readers to know, even though he was on this journey, the wisdom that he had received from God was still with him. So he wanted you to know that he just didn't set his mind aside and just go head on on their journey. No, his wisdom was still with him. But this is the conclusion he came to, okay? This was his journey first. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under the heaven during the few days of their lives. He wanted to see. So verse 4, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and I had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. And he goes on to say, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. He took, he started, he acquired, he accomplished everything his eyes desired. And he could. He was Solomon after all. In his position, he could do anything and everything that you and I could just dream of. He did it. He lived it. That's what he said. I denied myself nothing. My eyes desired. I I refused my heart to no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work. And this was the reward for all my labors. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve... Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Solomon took a different kind of journey. His wisdom still intact. And he came to this conclusion. Everything he did, everything he accomplished. And he did some good things. Building houses, planting trees, acquiring wealth. There's nothing wrong with these things. And he did it. But his conclusion was, it was all meaningless. It was all meaningless. Okay? But if you go to the end of Ecclesiastes, to the 12th chapter, he gives us his final words. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. this is what it says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. He did everything he wanted. He said everything he had to say. And this is the conclusion he came to. Fear God. And keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. After everything, this is what he came to. Fear God and keep his commandments. What commandments is he talking about? Well, let's go to Matthew. Matthew 22. I'll read it real quick. If you want to go there, you can. Matthew 22. Uh, This is... A familiar scene again, Matthew 22. This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. The Sadducees have been shut down. They wanted a piece of Jesus. They tried their best. Nothing happened. And now the Pharisees want in. 
Hearing that Jesus had silenced, Matthew 22, verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your what? With all your what? And with all your what? And with all your what? Yes, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So when Jesus mentioned this law, or the summary of the law, he was referring to the same thing that Solomon said. Fear God and keep his commandments. This was the same command that Israel received as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 10. If you go there, this is after the second set of tablets have been made and Moses is addressing the people and he says there again, fear God, keep his commandments. Fear God, keep his commandments. And it says in there, in Deuteronomy, love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And with all your what? And with all your what? Yeah. The same commandment. It's about the journey. It's about the journey. How can you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul if you don't know him? If you don't know who Jesus is, how can you love him with all your heart, mind, and soul? It's hard enough for us to go downtown and, and share a passage with somebody, let alone a meal. It's awkward, you know. Sometimes they don't smell like us, you know. They're complete strangers. But once you break that barrier, you get to know them. You take a journey with them, you know. You're willing to go the extra mile. It's the same principle. You cannot love a God you don't know. And you will not know the God unless you journey with him. Unless you journey with him. Paul reiterates this in his writings. He's very adamant in everything he says and does about taking the journey. If you go to Philippians chapter 3, here's a quick summary of what he has to say. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. This is what it says. Okay, this is Paul talking to the Philippians. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish. If there's anything Paul could find profitable in his life. If there was anything worthwhile in Paul's life, he considers it all a loss. Not just any loss, a great loss. And he considered it a loss because none of it compares to the greatness of knowing Christ. He took that journey. And he came to the same conclusion. Nothing I accomplish on this earth will ever compare to the greatness of knowing 
Christ. And again, in Colossians, he says, chapter 2, verse 6, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. He's reminding the church, saying, you remember when Jesus came into your heart? So I remember the feeling when, when you accepted Christ and his good news, that feeling? Remember that feeling, he said. And take the journey. Continue the journey that you started back then. Don't let it fade away. Pick it up again. Pick it up, he says. You know, continue to live in him, rooted in him, built up in him, strengthened in his faith, overflowing with thankfulness. Again, Paul is saying it's about the journey. It's about the journey with Jesus Christ. If you don't take the journey, you'll never know him. And if you don't know him, it's going to be awful hard to love him with your heart, with your mind, and with your soul. Paul got it right. And his whole mission was to share this message. When he was imprisoned, he shared this message. Cling fast to Christ. When he was shipwrecked, he shared the message. Cling fast to Christ. When he was stoned, when he was beaten, he said, cling fast to Christ. Because that's the only thing that matters. Knowing Christ. But why should you know Christ? Why should you take the journey with Christ? Why should I? I mean, good for Solomon. You know, he had lots of everything and uh, he was able to sit down, take his time. He didn't work 12-hour days or 8-hour days. He took his leisurely time and came to the conclusion he did. And good for Paul, you know, that he came to the conclusion he did. But why should I come to the same conclusion? Why should I take this journey for myself? And again, it's found in the writings of Paul. I'm going to read verses 13 through 15. And this is what it says. When you were dead in your sins, when I was dead in my sins, and in the circumcision of your sinful nature, and in the uncircumcision of my sinful nature, God made you, God made me alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Did you hear that? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. While we were sinners, uncircumcised in our sinful nature, God took Christ and made us alive again. He forgave all our sins, canceled the written code with its regulations. Everything that stood opposed to us, he took it away by nailing it to the cross. That's what Jesus did. For the wages of sin or death, Jesus took that death, nailed it to the cross. Verse 15 says, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them again by the cross. What else does Jesus need to do for you to make him want to 
journey with him. What else does Jesus need to do? He died for you. He took away your sin. All authorities and powers that were against you, he took them away. He made a spectacle of them and he nailed them to the cross. There's nothing standing in your way. So why shouldn't I take the journey with him? But I want to expound on what he's talking about. Disarming the powers. Making a public spectacle. You know, canceling the code. Anything that was stood opposed to us was nailed to the cross. What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? All right? And again, from the writings of Paul, I've kind of reworded it. I want you to pay close attention. What does it mean to take a journey with Christ? What does it mean that everything that was standing against you has now been nailed to the cross? Here's what it means. When you and I are hard-pressed on every side, you and I will not be crushed. When you and I are perplexed, confused, we do not have to be in despair. When you and I are persecuted, we have the reassurance that we are not abandoned. When you and I are struck down, we have the reassurance that we shall not be destroyed. That's reason enough for me to journey with Christ. I hope it's reason enough for you. But you know who else took this journey? Mary Magdalene. She was on her face, facing death. And then Jesus went down to her and asked her, where are your accusers? And she looked around and there was no one. And then Jesus said, go and sin no more. You have been forgiven. Mary Magdalene took the journey. She was made whole. David took the journey. Well, he took the journey again. He kind of stopped the journey for a while when he decided to get together with Bathsheba. But when the prophet Nathan revealed his sin to him, he took the journey again. And what do we know of David? It is recorded that David was a man after God's own heart. Moses ran away in the wilderness. He answered the call and he took the journey and he became the prophet and the leader of God's people. Zacchaeus took the journey. He took the journey. He was disliked. He was hated. He was looked down upon. I mean, literally looked down upon. Nobody had any room for Zacchaeus. But he took the journey. And Christ said, today, salvation has come to this house. Jacob took the journey. He wrestled with God. And God called him Israel. The father of God's people. Are you going to take the journey? When the book is written, when the picture is made, when the songs are sung, what is it going to say about you? Did you take the journey? Was your life transformed? 
because you decided to take the journey. Yeah. I was at a funeral last week, and uh, the pastor shared something uh, that stuck with me. He mentioned that uh, somebody at a previous funeral uh, was giving the eulogy about the person that passed away, and he talked joyfully about the date the person was born. And then with a heavy heart, he talked about the date that the person had passed away. But he spent the most time talking about the dash in between the two dates. And so I wonder what my dash will say when all is said and done. I wonder what your dash will say. Will it say that yes, she, yes, he, yes, the little one up there journeyed with Christ and you've already reached your destination. Are you ready to take the journey? Maybe you've stopped for a while and you've put the journey on hold. Maybe now is the time to start taking the journey again. If it can transform Paul, if it can transform Saul, if it can transform Jacob, if it can transform Mary Magdalene, if it can transform Zacchaeus, it can and it will transform you and I. All you have to do is take the journey. All eyes closed, heads bowed. I just want to ask you something. All eyes closed, heads bowed. This is just between you and God. Jesus is calling you and I to be the Christian journeyman, just like he was. Jesus came crying into this world, wrapped in swaddling clothes, born in a manger for animals. His triumphant entry was on the back of a donkey. But Jesus was the ultimate Christian journeyman. And he's asking you to be the Christian journeyman just like he is. He's asking you, he's asking me, to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our souls. And he's asking us to love one another as we would love ourselves. He's asking us to be that Christian journeyman. But the beauty about Jesus is he's saying you don't have to do it alone. He has promised to be with us every step of the way. So if you want to take that journey, if you've stopped the journey and you want to start again, let God know you're interested. Just let him know. Father God, I want to take the journey with your son. I want to take the way. I want to know the truth. I want to experience the life. If you stop the journey, just say, Father God, Forgive me, for I have walked away like David. But I know your mercy is endure forever. And I am back, and I want to remain on the journey. I want to cling back to the way. I want to hold fast to the truth. And again, I want to experience the life. That's all you have to say. Lord, hear our hearts today. Hear our cries, even though they are silent. Lord, we need you now more than ever. Because we don't know how long the journey is going to last. We might live to the next minute. We might live to the next week. We do not know. And that's why you told your disciples and you're telling us you want the journey to count. So Lord, give us an extra portion of your Holy Spirit to nudge us along, 
to remind us that there is restoration in the journey. Help us, Lord, that after I say amen, that the journey won't stop there, that it will continue into our homes, into our workplaces, into this world, Lord. So the dash between the two dates will show that we are all sons and daughters of God. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.